With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Ford Progress on the Hammer Betting Network. Today we're doing another Q&A show answering questions that you, the viewers, have asked. If your question is not asked on today's episode or you'd like one answered on a future episode, tweet us at Forward Progress HQ, comment on this YouTube feed, or email us at Forward Forward Progress at thehammer.bet. Before we start, just want to remind you that if you're excited about the NFL starting like I am uh, and plan on betting, you need to sign up for Pinnacle Ontario. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the best bettors play. Everyday competitive odds, bet smart, bet Pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. Uh, I'm joined today by Zuma, and we are going to be talking some NFL. And Zuma, I don't know about you, but Toronto weather in August goes from really hot to there's this one week where it all gets cold all of a sudden. And I love it because that's the week that tells me football is right around the corner. What is, uh, what's it like in Germany? Do you get that temperature drop that says, Hey, football's here. Uh, no, that's, that's only happening mentally. Uh, we have been dealing with shitty weather for like three weeks now. It's been raining at like 16, 17, 18 degrees for like three weeks straight. Um, and now summer is starting to, to creep up. We're going to have 25 degrees on. Uh, on the weekend, I would personally like to not have that Toronto drop because I could just enjoy the, the good weather because I will get pumped for a football season no matter what. Not me, brother. As soon as I walk out the door and I'm like, oh, shoot, I need a jacket today. That means football is here and I'm ready to go. I want to start off with the first listener question. Uh, Chris Hughes emails us, which team not priced in the top 10 Super Bowl odds has the best chance at winning it? And we'll pull up some pinnacle odds to take a look and see uh, which team not priced in the top 10. Suma, where do you start to look when you when you uh, see these prices on the board? I will start to look at the Cleveland Browns at uh, plus 31, uh, 30, 37. Um, I mean, the Browns are an interesting team because when you look at their roster, you already have to rank them pretty high. I, I have them hovering around the um, 10th spot in my ratings right now, but I'm willing to adjust upwards pretty quickly when I see Deshaun Watson being close to his former self because that's basically the only thing keeping me back for now. It's just the uncertainty range for Deshaun Watson because that offense is so loaded, like arguably the best or let's say top three offensive line. Kevin Stefanski is a decent play caller, good skill position group. Like everything is there. If they can now get good quarterback play, that would be awesome for them. If you think about the last two seasons, like, even they were dealing with Jacoby Brissett and Baker Mayfield, who was playing on one shoulder and one knee, basically. 
Kevin Stefanski still got a pretty decent efficiency out of that group. I think last year with Jacoby Brissett, they were like top 10 in EPA per play and success rate. So if they can just get decent quarterback play from the Sean Watson in a new scheme, because last year it was obvious that on the one side he looked completely cooked, but he was also playing in a scheme that doesn't fit his strength really. And this year we are going to see a different scheme for the Browns if he's good. The Browns will absolutely and immediately shoot towards the top of the AFC, in my opinion. So um, I think that, that their mean projection is, is already pretty high because of the talent on the roster. Also, when you look at the defensive side, that defensive line is loaded right now. Miles Garrett, the Darius Smith, Devin Tomlinson, Shelby Harris. That's one heck of a defensive line. New DC, who should do a better job than last year. They got some talent um, along their secondary. So this team is really, really good on paper. And if, if you bet them on the Super Bowl, you're basically betting on the on the right side of the distribution, which could be extremely fat because we might get the old Sean Watson back. Yeah, uh, you forgot to mention my favorite name to pronounce in the NFL, Obo Okoronkwo, who's also a rotational <laughs> yeah. pass rusher. Um, I, I like to think of what flaws does a team have and what areas are they very good at? And like, it's hard for me to point out any flaws in Cleveland's roster when I when I really break it down. We already know they have a very good O-line and who I think is the best running back in football. If they get a top-level quarterback play, they're going to be very good in a lot of things. Uh, I want to talk about the AFC and NFC power dynamic, though, where the AFC is a gauntlet just to get in the playoffs. And then after that, you're in like three to four dogfight games, whereas the NFC is a little bit uh, weaker. And by a little bit, I mean a lot of bit weaker. And last year, you were able to capture a team like Philadelphia, whose odds were, um, um, you know, a lot longer than they should have been. Are there any teams outside of that top 10 in the NFC that you're uh, looking to maybe speculate on that that you could see if things go right, uh, they could end up, you know, pushing that top three, four team in the NFC? Um, I'm personally uh, pretty high or high in terms of how they're viewed over the offseason on the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and yes, they have a very bad defense, especially their secondary on paper. I think their defensive line is solid, but the, the interesting part about the Vikings is that I think they're going to have a, a better offense than last year. It's the uh, second year in the scheme. They have a borderline top 12 offensive line, um, uh, second year um, um, uh, for teacher Hawkinson, also a full off season um, in the offense. They drafted John Addison in the in the first round, so I, I I'm really betting that they're going to have a better offense this year. And then the, the the very interesting part is that Brian Flores should be an upgrade at DC. And when you look at their defensive numbers from last year, yes, they are a bad looking unit on paper, but it's also hard to be worse than last year. So um, there's actually a, 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 a solid probability that they're going to have better defensive numbers than last year just by a chance. And that kind of defense that Flores plays is uh, subject to a lot of variance. So they could have a decent turnover production, which could mask their overall um, defensive quality in terms of personnel. And... Once they are in the playoffs, and let's say they uh, catch a catch a favorite, and their defense is able to send the right blitz in the in the um, on the right third down, and they produce like an interception and a fumble, that team could also be live. So I think 
Um, at these kind of odds, I think the Vikings are a playoff team in the NFC. And if things go right on the right side of variance, um, yeah, why not? Um, I, I'm, I will also say that the Vikings are not uh, close to the level of the Cowboys, or the Eagles, or the Niners in the NFC. But we're talking about some long shots here. And, uh, you know, like I do in the playoffs, everything's possible. Yeah, and it's not like they haven't uh, invested resources into the defense and the secondary. Like they spent two top 40 picks on Andrew Booth Jr. and Lewis Sign, who both just got injured last year, so we never got to see them. If they're any good, uh, as their pedigree suggests they are, and Brian Flores does well with the scheme, uh, it doesn't take much to be uh, improved defensively. Like thinking along the same lines as you, I look at Green Bay, who's like at 55 to one. And and I think uh, I like the roster as a whole. And if Jordan Love is actually a good quarterback, like right now he's an unknown, but if he uh, is closer to what he could be and potentially knocking on that top 10 or 12 quarterback door, then all of a sudden you got a team that could win their division. It's a tough t- uh, place to play in, in the playoffs in the winter. And 55 to 1 uh, all of a sudden looks like it, it, it's kind of appealing. I want to kind of uh, move on and along that same line of thinking, we got uh, two questions from listeners that kind of fit the same bill. We got an email that said, hey, which week one game will tell us the most about both teams and how good or bad they are? And then we got on Twitter, Takes by Jay said, thinking about teams like the Broncos and Seahawks, how quickly are you willing to move off your priors? Pick one team that could vastly overperform versus your priors and one team you think could vastly underperform. Overperform, he gives example of like he thinks maybe the Texans and underperform the Jets. It's Suma, there's a fine line where people say don't overreact to what you see in week one, but you also got to adjust to what you see in week one if it's very off of what you thought. When you approach week one, first of all, which games do you think, I'm going to learn a lot about both these teams in this game. Uh, is there anything that stands out for you on the board? Yes, Panthers Falcons uh, for me is um, up there. Um, I think my number one game to watch in in week one. Don't know if I go if I'm going to have a bet on it, but uh, this will be one of the first games I'm going to rewatch on Monday morning because there's so much stuff that we need to learn about these teams. Like um, Falcons, how is that offense going to perform with Desmond Ritter? Um, how does Desmond Ritter play against a decent Panthers defense with a decent DC who likes to disguise his defense or his coverage on every single play? Um, how stable is the Falcons offensive line? Like, if they're really a top unit, I think they should get, well, they should win a lot of shares against that Panthers defensive line. Are they able to move the ball on that defensive line um, on the ground? Um, how is Desmond Widder um, performing in such a very complex environment against a, a Jero Everett, uh, Everett defense um, in the Panthers with so many rotating coverages? Um, then on the other side, how are the Panthers going to play on offense? Like, how was Bryce Young? Um, and then let's take a look at the matchup of the Panthers offensive line, which is pretty above average on, on paper against an improved um, Falcons unit that basically has like three very good interior rushers. How are they going to line up? Like, is Calais Campbell going to play more on the edge? Uh, Grady Jarrett, um, David Onyemata next to him. I think it makes sense that Calais Campbell will um, um, be lined up more on the outside on passing downs and stuff like that. 
Um, how stable is that Panthers offensive line? How good is Bryce Young? Can the receivers uh, get separation against that Falcon secondary that is now getting destroyed by injuries already? Jeff Okuda, Clark Phillips uh, went down in practice. There's, I think, so much to learn about uh, these two teams. Yeah, uh, two of the games for me, and I did have Panthers-Falcons on my list, are the 49ers and the Steelers. I want to learn two things. We, we, we all hypothetically believe that the Steelers have improved on their offensive line. You know, they drafted Broderick Jones. They signed uh, Isaac Suomalo and Nate Herbig. I want to see if they can hold up against an elite uh, defensive line like the San Francisco 49ers. But I also want to see how Brock Purdy looks um, coming off the elbow injury against, I think the Steelers have a good defense. And I think I'll, I'll be able to learn a little bit more about both those teams. And by the same token, Packers and Bears is a learning lesson uh, game for me because if Jordan Love cannot do well against the Bears defense, then all of a sudden all that optimism of like right tail outcome and everything, that might go out the window week one for me. What about when you see a new uh, offensive coach or a play caller or a style? Like it's going to be hard to judge Baltimore because they're playing Houston week one. But I want to see what uh, Lamar Jackson looks like in a Todd Monken offense, right? I start asking my questions like that. We talk about Minnesota. I want to see what Brian Flores can scheme up and if they're going to be closer to average than closer to the bottom. Um, do you look at things like that and say, hey, uh, I want, I'm going to adjust pretty fast uh, if I see a really significant, um, you know, a significant upgrade in play caller? Yeah, so, <clears throat> sorry, going to one, I have that um, kind of, I call it the um, uncertainty rating. So for every team in the league, um, I give a grade in terms of how much uncertainty I'm expecting based on several factors. Uh, for example, uh, um, let's look at this. Um, I gave the Ravens uh, like a two, two-ish out of five in terms of uncertainty because um, that new scheme, that new offense with new wide receivers might take some time. And I'm not sure that they are going to be like 100% on the same page going into week one. It might be the case, but there is some rest of, of uncertainty. That's why I'm not giving the, them the, the full uh, certainty stamp. Uh, Rashad Bateman got off the pub list, but he's coming off the list Frank injury. And it might still linger into uh, into the early part of the season. So Odell Beckham coming off of injury didn't play uh, since two thousand twenty one. Rashad Bateman coming off injury. We don't know a lot about Zay Jones, uh, and it's a new scheme. So there is some uncertainty. Um, I'm personally pretty sure that medium term this offense will be fine, and I'm also pretty sure that Lamar Jackson is uh, is a very good passer and will execute that offense. And I think that the ceiling is also very high. But going to week one, there are some question marks uh, for me that leave some uncertainty. And that's basically the, the kind of stuff that I'm looking at. And for the Ravens, we might not know until like week five or week six when we get a better clue about the health status of, of all the wide receivers and stuff like that. But it could, also, it could also be the case that Odell is going to be uh, fine in week one. Rashad Bateman will play like uh, 65% of the snaps. They play a lot of uh, 11 personnel and they are tearing up that uh, Texas secondary, um, which I think that the um, I think that the Houston will be better on defense just by having Debbie Ryans. I think they will play very sound uh, football on defense. 
which might not carry over to efficiency metrics all that much because that uh, defense still has um, a lot of holes personal wise but if the ravens are going to blow out uh, the texans with their new passing attack i think that will be some telling factor that we have to uh, note in week one okay uh, i'm gonna throw out two teams uh, at you um tampa bay to me is a hard team to gauge defensively they still look like they have a lot of good pieces and we still know they have their weapons the, when i look at the o-line though i go oh this is probably the worst o-line we've seen from them and there's an assumption that tristan Wirfs is going to play left tackle and do as good as he did on the right side but that's no guarantee and uh of of course there's the baker mayfield aspect like if tampa bay comes out and looks putrid against the vikings I might be able to say with some degree of certainty that, hey, they're going to be in that Caleb Williams hunt um, this season. And then the other team is a team like uh, the New York Jets. And I've talked with Sharp Clark about this. He goes, I have no priors for the Jets. I am going to completely let um, what happens to the Jets dictate how I see them because there's a new quarterback and we don't even know what version of him we're going to get, the one from two years ago or the one from last year. There's new play callers there. Um, other than Garrett Wilson, the receiving core looks like brand new. Mecole Hardman and uh, Alan Lazard. And frankly, the O-line is looks like a jumbled mess. Um, I know they have a very tough first six weeks of the schedule, but if they get their doors blown off in a couple of those games, you might be able to say with some certainty, hey, maybe the Jets are not this Super Bowl contender that um, they are projected to be. Yeah, but I, but I think with the Jets, uh, it will also take some time. Uh, as Clark has mentioned, because I think their first four weeks, they are going to play a very tough schedule. I think the Eagles are there. I think that they played the, the, the Chiefs at some point in early October or something. So these are going to be very, very tough uh, games. And that's also some uncertainty because how well is Aaron Rodgers going to play? Um, I think that the receiving group will actually be fine. Um, I think Garrett Wills is an absolute start. El Nazar has a good connection with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, in terms of camp news, they are using Nicole Hartman for some stuff on the, over the middle. Cowie Davis is solid as a wide receiver 2-3 option. I think that receiving group will be fine. It will be interesting for me how the offensive line shapes out. Dwayne Brown, they told us today that uh, he's absolutely going to play in week one. That would mean that Mackay Beck will play a wide tackle. We don't know if Joe Tipman is going to end up playing at center because there were some rumors that he's running with the third team, which would be a big fat L, in my opinion. Um, the guard position is solid. So there is a case that we are going to look at this week one Jets team with a functional average to maybe above average offensive line with Aaron Waters playing better than last year and with a healthy, lethal receiving group that could actually score a lot of points on the Buffalo Bills defense. But it would also be a very good test because the Bills defense has a lot of dudes out there. Um, I think on paper they are absolutely a top 10 unit and that will already be a good test for the Jets. Yeah, and Suma, it's actually the first six weeks that are difficult. They're hosting the Bills at Dallas, hosting the Patriots, hosting the Chiefs at the Broncos, hosting the Eagles, and then they get their bye week. And they might like if they can get in there three and three, uh, they're they're cooking. But hopefully, they don't fall too far behind. Uh, last question comes from Matthew Sarukanian. Uh, he tweets to us: Are listening, reading about fantasy info useful? 
for betting purposes and vice versa. Suma, how are you um, consuming content during the season? Do you listen to stuff that's not just betting related? Uh, yes, uh, I do. Um, I like to listen like every good podcast that talks straight about football. And to be honest, I actually prefer podcast content that is not about betting because everyone who knows ball, who does not bet, is completely unbiased in his opinion and doesn't uh, talk on the podcast with like betting lines in his mind or something. And you might sometimes get some very fascinating and interesting off-market opinions from these guys who have no clue what the line and what the total for the game is. And that sometimes keeps you thinking and you can sometimes catch a lot of good nuggets from these guys who don't actually bet. So I actually prefer um, uh, listening to that type of content. I do listen to some fantasy content, but only really for fantasy purposes, because um, I think these fantasy podcasts, they're good for fantasy, but I have not found any real value when it comes to um, actually um, betting. Um, when you look at all the preseason content, like, yes, I will listen to Establish the Run and stuff like that because of my dynasty leagues, like some some best ball leagues and stuff like that. But all I, I would argue that when you bet the preseason and when you do fantasy, all these training camp tweets and stuff like that is completely relevant. But when you only focus on betting NFL in the regular season, like 95% of the training camp uh, preseason con is completely irrelevant. Uh, let's take the Justin Ross um, uh, training camp hype, for instance. Like, everyone knows that this guy can catch some back shoulder passes down the sideline. Like, everyone knows this since since college, since the first season at Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. Like, there's nothing new. And the only relevant news for me would be if at some point in, let's say, late August, first week of September, Justin Ross would be running with the first team in some capacity in 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 the in the practice that would be relevant because that would mean that he's actually going to be a factor for this offense and the chiefs and and Reed they are seeing an upgrade for the receiving group that would be relevant information for me but i literally don't care about which guy catches interceptions and makes some great sideline catches during practice camp in 717 or all these running back does juke moves against linebackers in the open field and stuff like that I mean, listening to to all the coaches speak and first team reps and stuff like that is very relevant for like preseason DFS, preseason betting, and who's going to play significant snaps in, in a preseason game. But when it comes to week one, the only thing we care about is who is uh, go or who is running with the first team uh, in practice. Yeah, when you when you said um, you know listening to guys who were just talking football, like I love the athletic football show with Robert Mays and Nate Tice because they, they talk about like how teams match up formationally and, and stuff that's not betting related, but you can glean like uh, and get some information that you could use in your betting. Uh, I used to love listening to Arjun Menon and Tage Seth for the same reason. Uh, I tell you though, establish the run did help me with one bet that I specifically remember last year. They were talking about how Tutu Atwell was starting to get a little bit more um, looks. And um, Sean McVay said at a press conference, you know, I probably should have been getting this guy the ball more earlier. And if you remember Baker Mayfield's debut against the Raiders, the Monday night flew into the team, somehow 
ends up in the game and gives them the comeback win. Um, his number was like 22 and a half. And I'm like, all right, not only am I going to look at the over, but I'm like, you don't know who Baker's favorite target is, right? He's never thrown to any of these guys. So if he loves one guy and you catch the high end of variance, you could probably hit some alternative overs and everything. So the crazy part is Tutu Atwell, he went for 50 yards, but he had nine targets. So he very much could have gone for 75 or 100. So that's one opportunity where just listening to something fantasy related unlocked uh, a player prop bet that I had in that game. Um, I'm going to leave. I will, say that. Yep. I will say that when it comes to props, yes, for sure. I was just talking about um, spreads Science. and all that stuff. Yeah. If you're a prop better, yes, you absolutely have to, to listen to all that stuff. Perfect. Uh, Sumo, we'll put a pin in it right there. Um, this has been another Q&A session on Forward Progress for the Hammer Betting Network. Uh, please check out Pinnacle for all your betting needs. They are, You must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly. That's it for me and Zuma. And we'll be back next week with another Q&A on the Forward Progress show on the Hammer Betting Network. Mm-hmm.